This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you're listening to the Sunday late afternoon show with Maud. It is 5 p.m. on Sunday, the 2nd of October, and you can join me using the chat function. We can discuss today's topic, which is Beyond Black History Month, Decolonizing the Curriculum. Welcome! This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TTRadio. Tune in, talk it out, with Teachers Talk Radio. Good afternoon, fellow educators and dear listeners. This is my 18th radio show as a hostess, and I'm delighted to share this experience in your lovely company. But first, I have to introduce myself for any new listeners. I'm a French citizen of French and West African ancestry. I have lived in the UK since 2008, and I'm a professional educator. I work in a secondary state school in North London, where I teach languages as well as humanities. I also have experience as a teacher in the charity sector. You can follow me on Twitter at ProfProfMFL. All views are my own. Today I want to focus on one topic that is relevant to me as an educator and also personally in my daily working life. The podcast and discussion will both be on the topic of Beyond Black History Month, Decolonizing the Curriculum. This is mostly relevant to any educators who is working uh, in a school in the English-speaking world and beyond. Anybody who is well-informed and wants to know more about how to eradicate racism and prejudice. And then the curious and savvy who want to know more about social issues as well as history. As I said earlier, you can also tweet live. I am on at profprofmfl. So anybody who wants to get involved in the discussion is welcome. So what is Black History Month? Well, it is something that is not a recent uh, endeavor. It started in 1926 in America and it was called uh, controversially named nowadays, but at the time it was acceptable language. It was called Negro History Week. So the people started um, wanting to organize a week where we talk about African American culture and history were Carter G. Woodson. He was a historian and he was a member of the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History, ASNLH. And he wanted to dedicate the second week of February to Negro History Week. So he had chosen this week for a very good reason, because it coincided with the birthday of Abraham Lincoln, the, the, the president who um, abolished slavery in America. 
1865, and it coincided at the end of the week with the birth uh, birthday of Frederick Douglass, who is a very, very famous um, black African man who was born a slave and taught himself how to read and ended up writing books. So these were two very important people in the history, history of, uh, <coughs> apologize, in the history of African Americans. Now, there was also uh, many people were advocating for a Negro History Week. Now, obviously, this hasn't really been followed up until the 70s in America when Black History Month was created, and it was named, obviously, differently. Black History Month is an annual observance that happens in February in the States, and it gives official recognition to the people who suffered due to slavery, segregation, and um, a lack of civil rights in America. It is a way to remember the African diaspora, and it is a celebration of African-American culture. Now, it is not just celebrated in America. It has also been observed in Canada and Ireland and the United Kingdom, although in Ireland and the United Kingdom it is observed in October. And today is the 2nd of October, so I thought I had to talk about Black History Month. Why did I name or entitle this podcast Beyond Black History Month is because I think Black History Month was created in the 1970s. And we've moved on from that that time. And I think it's important we realize that although the work has achieved what it started to aim for, which is to say to mention African-American history and to make people aware of what it is and to educate young people about um, Black African-American history, we need to go way beyond this. Because this is a very 1970s, um, it's it's from its, its time, let's say. We're in 2022, we have other challenges to do. So I'll tell you about my WS experience of celebrating Black History Month in um, secondary schools in the UK. As you know, or you might not know, I'm very much involved in the decolonize your, the curriculum movement. I do... CPD, which is training for teachers. I do presentation for students. I did two this week to some year nine students. And it's one of my passion, my hobby, and also my duty, I would say, to try to promote decolonizing the curriculum and also to have an approach that is about anti-racism in um, classrooms. So, my WS experience is as follows. It is not in my current school, but my first um, position as a secondary school teacher was in a school where there was quite a diverse student cohort. What I saw during the assembly for Black History Month was two um, white teachers who chose to talk about slavery in, Af in America. So it was a history teacher and she started talking about Black History Month as um, the diaspora, the kidnapping of black Africans and their um, enslavement in America. Now I had two issues with this assembly. First, 
it painted a very um, sad and also a very negative picture of Black African history. It was about people being deprived of their freedom, but it also started from that point as if there had not been any history of African people before the start of the slave trade. Uh, there was no mention of any kingdoms, no mention of any important historical figures from Africa be before the slave trade, nothing. It was as if there was maybe the discovery of Africa by Western countries and then enslavement, as if the story of Africa started like that. So I had issues with that. And also I had an issue with the fact that it was white teachers who presented the assembly, whereas there were uh, black teachers in the school, and we were not asked to get involved into the preparation of the assembly. So I felt like it was not giving us a voice, and it was not even including us in the preparation of the slides. Can I mention that the the school knew I was doing CPDs about decolonizing the curriculum. So I asked to have a bit of time during that assembly and I was given the last slot, which was five minutes before the end. And it was so rushed and it went over time. So my presentation, I was asking to do a writing competition with poems about Black Lives Matter. My contribution was shortened. So I felt it was quite representative of what goes on uh, in schools. It's very European-centered, what we do about Black History Month. It doesn't always include the people who could bring their own personal experience of racism to the issue. And it was rushed. The time was not allocated to talk about this very important subject. So my first experience of Black History Month in a UK school was very disappointing. Now, because I'm really interested in the subject of racism and decolonize the curriculum, I've been thinking about these for a long time. So I would say when we talk about racism, we need to define the terms. What is the origin of the world, the word racism? Well, the, the word appears in the early 20th century. So it is a recent notion. It appeared during the uh, Boer Wars in South Africa and later in 1930s Germany in the context of fascist theories. So racism is definitely a European 20th century invention. The first times the words were mentioned, there was the word racialism in 1882, racialist in 1910, and the word uh, racism was published in a book by James Strachey Barnes entitled The Universal's Aspects of Fascism, published in London in 1928. So you see how recent the term is. But in my opinion, even though the term is recent and derives from 20th century cultural uh, philosophy, I would say that racism existed before it was even named and it's... Um, Comepence happened when it became institutionalized. And I'm arguing that racism became institutionalized in the 1550s with the controversy of Baliadolid. So for those who haven't heard of it, it was a theologians and priests um, controversy. 
So Catholic priests involved in South America after we discovered, I mean, after Christopher Columbus arrived there, um, they were arguing on the fact that Native Americans were humans or not. So it was, can we consider these people as people? If so, can we conquer them? And then do we have to give them a Catholic um, education? So it was a, a big argument, and the two figures who were disagreeing were Bartolome de las Casas and Juan Gines de Sepulveda. So Bartolome de las Casas was on the side of the Native Americans, and he thought colonizing and not respecting human rights was morally wrong, whereas Juan Gines de Sepulveda had an opposite view. The conference happened 30 years after the beginning of the slave trade. And remember, the slave trade started with by the Portuguese. So I think we can't separate the notion of institutionalized racism without the um, invention of the slave trade or the start of the slave trade. Now, I mentioned that I want to go beyond talking about black history in October in the UK or in February in America. And I'm using the term decolonizing. Now, it's not my invention. This term has been used by Ngugi Vachongo, who is a very famous African writer. He has, he has written uh, books such as Wrestling with the Devil, which I highly recommend if you want to understand how it feels to be a political prisoner. And he also wrote Decolonizing the Mind, the politics of language in African literature. So this is a very, very important book because it offers a um, description of the world with the view by a man who was colonized by the West. So Kenyan writer Ngugi Vationgo is a very important writer. He wrote in English, but he decided to stop using English, which is the, the language of the colonizer. And he decided to write his first novel in his native language, Gikuyu. And he decided to do that when he was in jail. So he'd been put in jail, not by uh, English white people, no. Sadly, he had been put in jail by a compatriot who became a dictator in the early 70s and 80s. So he started writing in his native language because he had a bit of an epiphany while in jail. He explained that he was really upset that an African government would put him, a writer, in jail. And he decided to do something because he thought language and colonization were linked. Now, what I love about the expression decolonizing the mind is that he showed by his uh, writing that we need to speak all the languages of the world to understand each other. But if we don't speak our mother tongue, we are um, enslaved. We're not free. So speaking your mother tongue when it's not English is about empowerment. He also said that languages and cultures are showing a hierarchy of unequal power. Nigeria and Kenya still have English as an official language, and Senegal and Guinea still have French as an official language. This is because they were colonized by France and England, or England and France respectively. So 
this is the weight of colonization in the language. And we can't deny that. And I think it's really important to understand that term decolonizing. Decolonizing is giving the oppressed their dues back. So um, he also explained, um, Ngugu Vationgo also explains that what he calls neocolonialism is when even though a country has got its independence and its freedom, its economy is still controlled by the West. And for anyone who's aware of currencies, um, le franc africain, the French African uh, franc, is definitely a remnant of colonization. This makes the currencies dependent on on France's politics, and it also creates um, dependency. For instance, if you want to fly to Guinea, which happens to be my father's uh, native country, the the there's only one airplane company that offers the flights, and the prices are really high. There is no competition. France is uh, usually quite controlling in its way economically. So I said we need to go beyond Black History Month because it's very dated. It was a 1970s idea. It was a good idea, but it's not so relevant anymore because it's it's only about a month and we need to go further and to go beyond. So what I'm advocating is decolonizing, decolonizing the curriculum. What does it mean? Well, first, decolonizing means asking when you look around how the world is, question how society is built and look out for the impact of colonization, oppression and economic culture and cultural control. See how it reflects on our cultural representations. Second, after analyzing what goes on in our societies, it is trying to think about how we can change this status quo and how we can teach our students and our young people to go beyond this very hierarchical and very unequal society. And third, decolonizing the curriculum means promoting people who are usually ostracized or oppressed. So it would be ethnic minorities, artists, um, economists, physicists, doctors, teachers, writers, actors, all the people who do not benefit from the system we live in because it is deeply racist and institutionally racist. Now, I would like to celebrate the work of three black African women, because very often when black African women create something, we use what they create, but we forget their names or we don't even mention these women. I'm going to mention three names, Alicia Garza, Patrice Cullors and Opal Tometi. And these three young black African women are very important and they're all famous via their creation, yet most people do not know their names. So I'm going to repeat their names again. Alicia Garza, Patrice Cullors and Opal Tometi are the founders of Black Lives Matter, which is, I think, nine years old now. In 2015, these three women started a charity because they were outraged that at the number of black people killed by the police in America. 
they wanted to create a charity which supports black people and reduces murders committed by the police. Now, I think their laudable work is often criticized and attacked and we need to support their action. Now, I want to focus on two terms that I think are very important to separate. The term tribalism and the term racism. As I've said, racism is a 20th century invention. It derives from all these pseudo-scientists who were trying to prove that there was a hierarchy in the human race. Remember these scientists who were looking at bones and skeletons or going to prisons and trying to show with pseudo-scientific facts that criminals uh, had a different cranium or a different skeleton. So these people tried to show that the human race was unequal. Well, I want to insist that this is a Western invention, racism. But now there's something that's more universal, and that's tribalism. So the concepts of race and racism are recent in origin, and ideas about human differences on the basis of skin color, skeleton, or physical attributes, they, they come from this mindset. But it also happened in other societies, and this is more what tribalism is. Tribalism is when there's a group of people who share common values and might maybe physical attributes, and they feel wary of people who are different from them. The big difference between tribalism and racism is that it, when it's racism, it's institutionalized. Whereas tribalism might be as simple as the people who shop in one shop, let's say Waitrose, and not feeling like they would fit or together with people who shop at another shop. So tribalism is not part of a society that's hierarchical. Racism is. Now I'll go back to the United Nations and their educational, scientific and cultural programs. After the Second World War, with the epitome of uh, racism and fascism being um, the Holocaust. The um, United Nations wanted to work on the construct of race and they wrote a statement. They argued that race is less a biological phenomenon than a social myth, it's a creation. The myth of race has created an enormous amount of human and social damage. In recent years, it has taken a heavy toll in human lives and caused untold suffering. Race and racism still prevents the normal development of millions of human beings and deprives civilization of the effective cooperation of productive minds. The biological differences between ethnic groups should be disregarded from the standpoint of social acceptance and social action. The, unite, the unity of mankind from both the biological and social viewpoints is the main thing. So that was published in 1994 in a statement on race by social scientists. And you can access it on the UNESCO website. So I want to insist on the fact that mankind is one and there is no such thing as races. There's only one race and it's the human one. 
So recognizing racism is the first step. We need to know it is a term invented in the 20th century, but that racism was already a notion that was institutionalized since the controversy of Valladolid, which happened when the slave trade started. So we need to know that racism is a threat to global peace and racism needs to be eradicated. As I said, racism is institutionalized in America, but also in the UK and in France. There is racism and there is separation based on race in the media, politics, society, employment, housing, hospitals, education, criminality in the police, prisons, and mental health services. There is also racism in banking. In America, most farmers who were black could not access loans, which led them to be unable to compete economically, and they had to sell their land that was bought up by white farmers. So it's the same in Europe, even though we never had a segregated law system the way the US had. I'll give you figures about police brutality in the UK as an instance. Over the past 10 years, 164 people died in police custody in England and Wales, according to the Independent Office for Police Conduct, IOPC. 141 of these people were white, 13 were black, 10 were from other minority ethnic groups. So you're gonna tell me, well, if 141 people were killed, um, and were white out of 164, it's still the majority, a white majority of, of victims. And I'd say yes, of course, but the problem is, if you look at the global population in the UK, black people are more than twice likely to die in police custody because there's 3% of the English population who is black, and yet there's 8% of black people murdered in custody compared to 3% in the global English population. So you see, there's an overrepresentation of black victims of police brutality. Now, we are all aware of many murder victims who were killed by the police in the UK. It's not just an American phenomenon. There was Joy Gardner in 1997. The police officers who killed her have never been prosecuted. Trevor Smith, Roger Sylvester, Smiley Culture, MZ Mohammed Daly, Julian Cole, Mark Duggan, Cynthia Jarrett, Dalian Atkinson, Cherry Gross, Jimmy Mumbenga, and Sarah Reed. All these people were murdered by the police in the UK. So I'm saying we live in a society where racism is institutionalized. Obviously, it's not just me saying this. I wouldn't go about making statement. This is what came out of the Stephen Lawrence inquiry. In 1999, the Macpherson report found that the Metropolitan Police was institutionally racist, which means it failed to give an appropriate service to some groups of society because of their color, culture, or ethnicity. So the Stephen Lawrence inquiry is a government paper published that says that the police is institutionally racist in the UK. So that was more than 25 years ago. And yet we can argue 
that this, the problem in the Met Police is still the same and it's still there. Can I just remind you, if you want to prepare Black History Month in your school, please make sure you celebrate the 22nd of April as Stephen Lawrence Day. I would say it's it feels like something that you have to do, almost a box to tick when we do Black History Month. But the schools who really care about stopping racism, they should celebrate Stephen Lawrence Day. Stephen Lawrence was a British student. He was black and he was murdered. And the way his case was treated was not good enough because he was black. So the Met Police was not helping his case being prosecuted. And it's important we celebrate Stephen Lawrence. I'm asking schools not to just do Black History Month in October or in February in America or Canada. I'm asking schools to decolonize their teaching and to decolonize their gaze. But I'm also asking any parent to decolonize the urban environment. How do you do this? Well, look around, walk around town. What do you see on statues? What do you see on billboards? Well, I'll tell you, if you walk around town in London, you're going to see mostly white men wearing military uniforms, sometimes on horses, sometimes not. Very rarely women. There might be a few now that the suffragettes are uh, near Parliament Square. There's Gandhi and there's um, Nelson Mandela. And that's about it for being representative of all the people who have worked in our societies. We need to make our urban environment more inclusive if we want to decolonize our minds. I'll take the example of uh, Edward Colston in Bristol. I happen to live in Bristol. It's a wonderful city, a beautiful city with limestone buildings. Now, what we don't know is that this, this beautiful architecture was built on the back of the slave trade. Edward Colston was an English merchant, slave trader, philanthropist, and Tory member of parliament. He was born in 1636 and died in 1721. He was a sea merchant and he traded wine, fruits, and textiles. And then he realized that there was more money to be made selling slaves. So he became a senior executive of the Royal African Company, which had a monopoly on slave trade. Obviously, he made a lot of money. And because he was a savvy politician, he brought a lot of that money to benefit public institutions in Bristol and London, which is why he had his statue for more than 150 years in Bristol. Now, with the Black Lives Matter movement in 2020, in June, people were irate that Edward Colston's statue was still on a pedestal in the streets of Bristol. So they protested and kicked the statue into the river. Obviously, it is a criminal offence to damage um, city property. However, I have to insist that there had been protests and petitions for many, many, many years asking to put Edward Colston's statue in a museum, but not out in the street. And the council had ignored these petitions. So people had enough. And um, his statue was taken. Someone else put a statue in its place. 
the beautiful statue of Jane Reed, who is a black um, Af black African, or, no, not black African. She's a black English lady, and she has uh, a, she was wearing a glove, a hat, and she had her wonderful curly hair out. And her statue was put in place of Edward Colston. Sadly, her statue only stayed 24 hours and it was removed by the British, the Bristol Council. I think it's quite symbolic that a slave trader, member of the Tory party, stayed in the streets of Bristol on a pedestal for more than 150 years, whereas a female activist stayed less than 24 hours. And if that's not symbolic of what happens when we try to decolonize our urban environment, find me a better example. Decolonizing our uh, urban environment is something adults can do easily. Now, what can we do when we're teachers? Well, we need to start with history. And our history teachers have a lot of work ahead. What is being talked about in schools? Who are we talking about? Well, I remember that uh, my primary school children were taught about Egyptian, uh, ancient Egypt, and they were talked about uh, the Second World War and the First World War, and also they were talked about Henry VIII. We still consider important white, powerful, middle-class aristocrats or middle-class men. And this is what I learned most when I was at school. Most of the writers I read were white middle-class men. And it's, it's a sad state of affairs that we're still doing this in our curriculum. Of course, you want every child in, living in England to know that Henry VIII was a king and that he separated the Church of Rome and the Church of England. But is it what we teach our children? Most of the time, we almost mentioned jokingly that um, Henry VIII was a domestic abuser and he murdered his wife, Anne Boleyn. But it's almost said as a joke. I find that very highly questionable. And I'm just wondering, why do we insist on talking about these men, these powerful men, and we forget about all the people who actively changed Britain? I'll give you an example. When children think about the suffragettes movement, they think about Emmeline Pankhurst and they think about white women. But we forget that there was a very important suffragette and it was Princess Sophia Dilip, and she was Indian. She was mixed as well, but she was also an Indian uh, suffragette. We have a bias in the way we teach and learn history because we always ostracize the people who are not white. If you want to know more about Princess Sophia Alexandrovna de Lipsing, she was born in 1876 and died in 1948. And she was the daughter of the Maharaja Sir de Lipsing. He was forced to abdicate uh, when the East India Company took his kingdom in India. And he was the one who had to come to England. He was basically um, kidnapped and imprisoned and brought here. Obviously, his prison was being accepted at court and he was given due respect, but his kingdom had been stolen. So his daughter, um, she took advantage of that status she had. She was a princess, but she was not white. 
So she didn't have power politically, but she was protected by Queen Victoria because that was her godmother. So she used her very particular status to fight for the rights of women. And I love the fact that someone who was taken off her own country, someone whose kingdom was stolen from her, ended up changing English society from the inside. I find that wonderful. So as I said, the history department has to do and drive change. And I'm going to talk about uh, Dr. Jonathan Weaver, who is an American, African-American man who works a lot on African history. And I'm going to say that the history department has a bit of a challenge on their hands because we do not study African history well in Europe. And when I say Europe, I include America. As Dr. Jonathan Weaver says, the only dark part of Africa is our lack of knowledge about it. Let's do a little quiz. Imagine that you can uh, answer me. How many countries do you think there are in Africa? Well, I'll let you have a think about it. You might think it might be between 40 and 100. Right, there are 54 countries in Africa. How many ethnic groups are there? Now, you might think 100, some might think 2,000. The answer is more than a thousand. Now I'm going to say how many languages do you think that are spoken in Africa? If there's a thousand ethnic groups, you might think mm, approximately that same amount. Oh, well, it's double than that. 2,000 languages, more than 2,000 are spoken. Now I would ask, honestly, can you name any African king or queen who comes from Africa? That's a harder question. I'm sure you can always name a European king, a French king, but what about an African king? Trickier. I'll give you Shaka King, the king of the Zulu, or Haile Selassie I, king of Ethiopia, or Aminatou, queen of Zaozao, which is actual Nigeria. And here, I just want to make an aside, and I want to say, in my opinion, and you might completely disagree, but decolonizing uh, the curriculum and decolonizing our society is not to hire a black actor to play the role of King Henry VIII in another period drama about Henry VIII. I do not think it improves the situation at all, and I think it's almost disingenuous. I don't think that having another movie about Elizabeth I with a black actress would help. What I think would help is to have a period drama about Shaka, King of the Zulu, or about Haile Selassie I. Or what about a Netflix series about Aminatu, Queen of Zaozao? Why do we always make new period versions or new period dramas of very famous historical figures such, such as Mary, Queen of Scots, or Elizabeth I, and not about African kings or queens. I think it's just lazy. We only focus on who we know, and we forget all the major historical figures we need to know more about. So this is my call for the BBC. More about African kings and queens, please. 
Now my last question to check if you know your history about Africa. Can you name at least one former African president? And now I'm sure everybody can answer that. Nelson Mandela, obviously, but I'll give you another one just for the sake of it. Nelson Mandela was president of South Africa, the first black president of South Africa, of free South Africa. But there was also a Leopold Sedar Senghor, who was the first black president of the new, newly founded country of Senegal. So we need to know more about African history. I think this is clear. And doing Black History Month is not enough. My um, take on this issue is that we need to do Black History Month each month. That's my take on it. So I'm going to share with you an idea of an ideal school calendar of anti-racism activities. I call them Activisions, because they are activities with a vision, and the vision is to fight racism. So my Activisions are spread over 12 months, uh, more or less, a bit less because I'm counting the summer holidays. So in September, I think every school should do Afro Hair Day celebrations on the 15th. Then October, Black History Month, if you like, but remember, it shouldn't just be about one month. November, it should be celebrating Josephine Baker's contribution to acting, singing, um, the fight against the Nazis in the Second World War, and promoting women's rights. December, I think we should do a decolonized Christmas, and this is something that I'm going to talk about in a few months or in a few weeks, because Christmas is coming soon. January, we should talk about the three kings who visited the baby Jesus in the barn, and Remember, Balthazar was king of Ethiopia and he was dark-skinned. February, it should be Mardi Gras celebrations in New Orleans and the melting pot that is south, uh, the south part of America with French culture, Creole culture, African culture and white European culture. In March, I think we should do a celebration of Black Lives Matter and the Breonna Taylor's murder that created that vague of protest, uh, that a wave of protest, I apologize, in 2020. In April, we should talk about uh, all the colonized countries and their independence around the world and the way they celebrate Easter around the world. And also what I'm gonna talk about after the news, the Bristol bus boycott. In June, I would say we should talk about Dido Elizabeth Bell, who was a black lady living in Hampstead at Kenwood House. And that would allow any schools to do a school trip to Kenwood House with their students. And in July, I think we should always celebrate the history of Patrice Lumumba because it's his birthday and he was the first African president elected with a communist program. And yet he was assassinated by the CIA. So that's my school calendar of Activisions. Now, because time is running, I'm going to let you listen to the news and we'll get back after to talk about the Bristol boycott, the bus boycott. Thank you for listening. I'll see you in about nine minutes. We have teamed up with the Witherslack Group to bring you a fantastic face-to-face -face meetup in Manchester next month. 
tickets are free with lunch in you'll be met with a host of amazing speakers sign up for your voice nutrition, movement, mindset, workload and well-being in school. You'll hear from our incredible lineup of speakers including Andrew Cowley, Jen Foster, Kimberly Wilson, Simon Bolger and many more. There'll be talks, workshops and time to network with like-minded colleagues. We'll look after you all day with brunch, lunch and all the refreshments. You'll get to meet our incredible speakers and our amazing team of ambassadors from the Education Space Fit event, with all proceeds going to the amazing education charity EdSupport. This isn't one to miss. I look forward to seeing you there on the 22nd of October at Etc Venues St Paul's in London. You can search Rewriting Wellbeing on the Eventbrite website to find out more. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.withaslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. ITV News reports on the backlash facing Middlesbrough Council from parents who want to see a return of chicken nuggets, pizza and chips to school dinners. Parents have complained about food options offered by schools across the town, claiming they are too adventurous and the portion size is too small. The complaints came following a move by the authority to try and increase fruit and vegetables, reduce sugary items and introduce vegan options and other healthier alternatives. Comments on Middlesbrough Mayor Andy Preston's Facebook page number over 400 and the majority of them criticise the new menus. Concerns include pupils not eating enough during a long school day and this impacting on concentration, focus and therefore The current cost of living crisis has also increased concern as children eating British Legion has announced plans to live teach about aspects of remembrance this autumn. In plans announced on the forces.net website, it states that children will be helped to understand the importance of remembrance and its continuing relevance today. The Royal British Legion will join forces with the National Literacy Trust to launch a new range of teaching resources, including live lessons. The Alive with Poppies poetry project will take place between the 3rd and 6th of October and the Live Remembrance Assembly will be on the 11th of November. This year, all the resources will explore the theme of service, highlighting the role of civilian emergency services, the work of intelligence services, as well as the work of the armed forces. Further details can be found on the Royal British Legion website. 
In Scotland, the National reports on Nicola Sturgeon's visit to St Albert's Primary School in Pollock Shields, Glasgow. She visited to see an assembly marking the end of Scotland's Climate Week, saying it was only right to listen to the voices of young people on climate change. The theme of this year's Climate Week was to encourage respectful conversation about climate change. After the recently announced death of rapper Coolio, a video of him partying with University of Central Lancaster students went viral once again. The video originally posted in 2013 shows Coolio singing Gangster's Paradise inside a student house in Preston. The viral video also shows him cooking a meal with the students. Many have returned to the internet to view the video and pay tribute to the artist most well known for the song which featured on the soundtrack of the film Dangerous Minds. The film follows a teacher and her group of students studying at a school in a deprived part of Belmont, California. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm answering the frequently asked question, how do I support a new pupil that doesn't speak English? Well, technology is here to help. There's a few things to consider first. Apps work differently on different devices, so you'll need to have a play with the kit you have to hand. This episode is just a list of things you could try. Also, you need to remember that translators are not totally accurate, although they are pretty good nowadays. To prove this, I translated my last sentence into Ukrainian and back again. It went in reading. Also, you need to remember translators are not totally accurate, although they are pretty good nowadays, and came out. Also, you have to remember that translators are not completely accurate, although they are pretty good now. Totally became completely, and nowadays became now. Not bad, really. So, what is available for working online? Microsoft Edge has immersive reader built in. Press F9 and you'll be greeted with a plethora of tools. As far as translation is concerned, you can translate a page into over 80 languages and have it read to you. You can also send a link to open in Reader View by adding read colon in front of the address before you send it. In Google Chrome, you can go to settings and add languages to allow you to translate. What about documents? If you use Microsoft Office in any app, highlight, right click and select translate. Pick your language job done. Same applies to Google Docs, although it will save as a translated copy. Need a quick translation for an important question? Translate, do you need the toilet? Into Russian. In Russian, do you need the toilet is? That example was Siri, who doesn't translate into Ukrainian yet. Try it with your smart devices. On most devices, you can change the language used. Just be careful with this one if it's a shared device or you or someone supporting a child needs to use the device too. Also, finding the setting again when the language has been changed may need you to have a second device to copy so you can find the buttons in a different language. That sounds too much like I'm speaking from past experience. Do you need a translated transcript of your whole class explanation? Download the Office app tap the plus sign and choose voice. Quick side note, as you're recording, you'll need permission of the people in the room to do this. Everything you say will be transcribed and then you can either translate and send or send for them to translate in one of the aforementioned ways. In this app, you can also use Lens to scan handouts and translate. Finally, depending on your license, you could use a video call such as Google Meet, Zoom or Microsoft Teams to provide live subtitles using closed captions and translate. Set up a video call, join with the pupil's device and have a live translation of your lesson. This would depend on the pupil's reading ability and needs some technical knowledge to enable, so it might be worth asking your technical support if it's possible. For a visual version of some of the ideas in this briefing, check out TT Radio 2022 on social media. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. 
Thank you, dear listeners, for listening to the news. Now, we were talking about going further than just doing Black History Month in October in the UK and Ireland. I would like us to change the way we look at the world we live in, to question inequalities, and to try and be more inclusive and changing the way we see African history for instance. So whenever I talk to students, I always do this little check and I ask them to tell me who is Rosa Parks. And all my students know who Rosa Parks is. And all my students have heard of Martin Luther King. And all my students are very much aware of who uh, Michelle and Barack Obama are. So there is definitely a very good knowledge of the most charismatic African-American figures in um, the social rights movement. Now, The problem is that this is not translated into a knowledge of what happened here. I think we have a tendency to talk about African history, Black African history, um, in in a, the American context, and we forget that our societies were very much segregated in facts, maybe not in legislation, and that we are still fighting with the uh, remnants of colonization. So I would like us to go beyond Rosa Parks, beyond slavery, and beyond 1960s American social rights movement. We need to look at what's universal about black history and also what happened in the UK, because our students live here. So on this week, I did a presentation for year nine and I asked them, have you heard of the Bristol bus boycott? Resounding silence. None of them had heard of the Bristol bus boycott. Have you, dear listener, heard of the Bristol bus boycott? Well, I'll tell you a bit more about this because it was inspired by Rosa Parks and what she did in the US, but you might wonder why was it needed in Bristol? We didn't have segregation in Bristol, did we? Well, the Bristol bus boycott happened because the Bristol Omnibus Company was trying not to employ black or Asian bus drivers in the city of Bristol, which is a segregation in employment. So basically, there was a youth worker called Paul Stevenson who started a boycott because he realized that the company was overturning any uh, um, person who wanted to get employed who happened to be black or Asian. So this led to four months of boycott and he really tried to get all the residents of West Indian origin, uh, which was up to 3,000 at the time in Bristol, to boycott this bus. If you want to know more about the background in Bristol, the people who were West Indians um, were had come part of the Windrush generation, but also they had come because they, they had been fighting as soldiers during the Second World War. So they came and settled in Bristol and they suffered discrimination in housing. You are familiar with the infamous billboard on a window, no blacks, no Irish, no dogs, right? We're all familiar with this. And um, they were also suffering from violent
an action group called the West Indian Development Council because they realized that no one was taking action regarding employment in the bus company. They were inspired by Rosa Parks and they really wanted to change the situation in Bristol. Now, the problem is that the union, which was at the time called the Transport and General Workers Union, TGWU, which was created in 1922 and disbanded in 2007 when it became UNITE, very famous union. The TGWU was opposed to apartheid in South Africa, but was pretty much in favor of not employing black people in Bristol buses. The general manager of the TGWU said, I'll quote, the advent of colored crews and I, I'm quoting his, his words when I say colored crews. The advent of colored crews would mean a gradual falling off of white staff. It's true that London Transport employ large colored staff. They even have recruitment offices in Jamaica and they subsidize the fares to Britain of their new colored employees. As a result of this, the amount of white labor dwindles steadily on the London underground. You won't get a white man in London to admit it. But which of them will join a service where they might find themselves working under a coloured foreman? I understand that in London, coloured men have become arrogant and rude after they've been employed for some months. So these were the words, controversial now and extremely awkward at the time as well, of Ian Patty, which was the leader of the TGW, former Unite. So... The unions were not going to help our four uh, advocates for equality in employment. Now, thank God the students at Bristol University decided to march with the West Indian men who were protesting, and they marched against the bus station company, but also the local headquarters of the union. And there was a lot of controversy in the media, many people got involved, Somewhere on the side of the people who fought against the inequality, somewhere on the side of the bus company. Let's let us just say that um, Stevenson was the winner of this uh, fight because he got um, he was prosecuted at court for libel, but he still won uh, the the damages and cost. And the ultimate action is that in 1965, the United Kingdom Parliament passed a Race Relations Act, which made racial discrimination unlawful in public places. So West Indian men and black men could be hired in the bus company in Bristol, following the work of these lovely West Indian men. And the um, Stevenson got awarded an OBE in 2009, Bailey and Hackett as well, for their part in the bus boycott. There is a movie by BBC Radio 4 um, about the, the, the boycott. It's part of Black History Month. You can find it on their website. And uh, the UNITE, which is the now name of the Transport and General Workers Union, issued an apology in 2013, which is many, many decades later. And they said... It was completely unacceptable. Um, we can accept the sense of injustice and pain that has been felt because of what happened in Bristol all those years ago. So they did apologize many years later. So 
When we talk about Rosa Parks in 1955 in America, could we at least talk about the Bristol bus boycott in 1963, please, dear teachers? Because it happened here. And this is what makes society change. Protests in the streets, boycott, leads to Parliament Act, and it leads to change and improvement. Now, there's another BBC uh, documentary I would really urge anyone who's interested in crime and social justice to listen to, and this is Shreds, Murder in the Dock. This is a podcast of 12 episodes about the murder of a prostitute, a young woman who was a prostitute in Cardiff, um, and she was murdered by a white man. There was a witness, a client. And yet, who ended up prosecuted and spending 15 years in jail? I'm sure you're going to guess, five black men. So the Cardiff Five were put in jail for a murder committed on a young woman who was a prostitute. And the white man who committed the murder and who had been seen was got away with it for many, many years until he got caught by DNA. So... Please listen to Shreds, Murder in the Dock. It's a great podcast. This is not for children. It's only for people who want to know about crime, the Met Police, how we um, always seem to prosecute black people whenever there's a murder committed, and how hard it is to get these black people released from prison, even though another person is the culprit and has been arrested. So The Cardiff Five, a wonderful documentary uh, about... Um, police bias. Now, I'm, I'm saying that we need to know more about Black African history, Black American history as well, but also Black African history. But another aspect I think we need to talk about, and it's not enough to talk about Black History Month or prepare an assembly, and it's because we forget how difficult racism is because it's embedded at every level of society. It's a little bit like rot in the foundation of a house. Racism rots the house and destroys its foundations slowly, but it's everywhere and it's pervasive. So when you need to talk about racism, you need to know about gender, social class and the economic system. And this is intersectionality. That's a long term, which means that when you suffer from racism, if you happen to be a woman, or if you're LGBTQ, if you're working class, if you're poor, and if you have a disability, racism is going to be even more weighted on your shoulders. I think we should all have books written by Bell Hooks, Bell, B-E-L-L, and Hooks, H-O-O-K-S, without capital letters, because Bell Hooks uh, her original name was Gloria Jean Watkins. She's an American author and social activist, and she passed sadly in 2021 in December. But she wrote about race, class, gender, sexuality, and feminism. And her outlook on education is really uh, controversial and revolutionary, but it's also very um, humane, and it promotes individuality. She did write about um, black men and how they are perceived in American society. So definitely have a look if you have time enough. Uh, Bell Hooks, 
writings very, very thought-provoking. And she always insisted on the fact that you can't talk about race, racism, and Black History Month if you ignore the issue of capitalism and the fact that we have inequalities in income. Can I just remind you that half of the UK land is owned by less than 1% of the UK population. So in the UK, there's 60 million people and we have 25,000 people owning most of the land. And they're mostly aristocrats or big corporation and they control more than half of the country. So without inequalities and capitalism, without taking that into into consideration, we can't change our society and we can't make it more inclusive, even if we deal with racism. Because it's about decolonizing and not just Black History Month, I wanted also to say as an aside that there is a very symbolic object of colonization that we are talking about at the moment, and it's the crown jewels, the crown jewels at the Tower of London. There is a very famous blue diamond called the Kohinoor, one of the world's largest diamond, and it was set in the crown of the Queen Mother. And it will now be given to Camilla, the Queen Consort, to King Charles III. In Farsi, the Kohinoor means the mountain of light. I told you about Maharaja Dulip Singh, whose daughter was a suffragette in London. Well, he was a Maharaja, which is the kind of king or emperor. And he was 11 when England colonized the Punjab in 1849. So to take his land, the Maharaja was taken and sent to London, where he was given a property and he was told to stay there, which which is where his daughter um, ended up living. Now, because they took the Punjab, the UK also took the Kohinoor, the beautiful blue diamond. And it's been in the royal collection of jewels since. I will let you know that after the death of Queen Elizabeth II, the British government was asked by India to give the gem back. And the British government has declined the offer because they say that the Treaty of Lahore was giving, uh, under the terms of the treaty, it was it was giving the gem to the Kingdom of England. So I think it's a quite obvious symbol of colonization that a beautiful jewel belonged to the Maharaja and then it was stolen, taken to England, kept, and now India wants it back and they can't have it back. To be fair, it's not just India who's asking for it back, Pakistan as well. So it would create, I'm sure, a diplomatic incident if we chose India rather than Pakistan. But we haven't given it back, have we? Now, um, this is just an example, but I wanted to highlight this because we do talk about the monarchy a lot at the moment. So when I talk about decolonizing, I mean, we need to think about what our society is like and how can we make it more inclusive. 
So it is definitely something we need to, to do. I mentioned racism and segregation in housing in the UK in the 50s. Remember the no Irish, no black, no dogs sign on windows in London. Well, in our schools at the moment, we still have school policies regarding uniform that can be seen as prejudiced. Um, there is the case of the lovely Ruby Williams, who was attending the Erswick School in London, which is a Church of England secondary school. And she was told that her, her Afro hair was too big and that she should she should just plait it or she should change her hairstyle and not let her natural hair out because she prevented other students from looking at the board, apparently. That was the argument. Ruby felt ostracized by her senior leadership team in her school and her family, because her mom is a teacher and she's very aware of uh, her rights, she fought against the school and they went to take legal action against the Erswick school. And there was a settlement out of court with £8,500 given to Ruby for the for the hurt she had to endure. Um, and um, I think it's important that everybody checks their school policies to see if there's prejudice at the core of the uniform policies. So check it out, make sure your school doesn't follow the infamous footstep of the Erswick school. It was a three-year legal battle for Ruby, very stressful. She had to take time off school to do so. And um, she was repeatedly sent home because she was told that her Afro hair was too much. If you think Ruby got into trouble because she had her hair out and it was too big, remember it still happens to boys. Sometimes when they plait their hair in cornrows, they get told off for doing so. This is a natural hairstyle and this is part of their heritage. It should not be criticized by any schools. We need to remember that African hair is different from Asian and European hair. Sub-Saharan uh, hair is Afro and its texture is unique. So we can't expect the same um, treatment or rules to match uh, all hair types. Um, we forget that we impose Caucasian beauty standards a lot via media and films. Having wavy, floaty hair, like the Disney princess hair, as I call it, it's only achievable by people who have Caucasian type hair. And a lot of people have very curly or Afro hair. So we need to be mindful of the imposition of beauty standards that is not accepting or inclusive of African beauty. Um, the story of African hair and Afro-textured hair is a wonderful story, very political, and um, I, would, I will dev devolve a whole podcast on it because I think it's really worth raising awareness for. And I did mention it once in a, in a podcast, but I think it's still needed. Um, now, in our Beyond the Black History Month, I would ask anyone who has a school library if they can do a little display to celebrate Black History Month. Make sure you show books for primary school children as well as secondary school children written by Black authors about Black experience and Black characters. There's more and more of these books available in the market now, so there is no excuse not to have them. For science department, please have a display about Macy Jemison, the first Black woman in space. 
she was an astronaut. Show our black students how they can achieve um, shooting to the stars, literally. Um, I think there's plenty of online resources if you want to bring something more interesting to Black History Month. Please do not just mention Rosa Parks and slavery and Martin Luther King. Every student should know about it, obviously. But this is not the end of Black History Month knowledge. We have a wonderful resource called 100 Great Black Britons. So check the website www.100greatblackbritons.co.uk and 100 is written in digit. There is plenty of resources about Black British history. Ask your students to, cho to choose one Black British person and do a presentation, five minute tops. And at the end of the month, you make them present their findings. Make the students do the work. Don't tell me I'm too busy, I've got too much to plan, I can't prepare anything for Black History Month. Don't do it yourself, make the students do it. Tell them you have a homework to do and it is finding a Black, history, a black uh, British person and doing a presentation. That's it. Being busy is not an excuse. This is urgent. We need our students to get involved in this movement and to value people who are not middle class, not white, and yet bring the best to this country. Please check out Bernadine Evaristo's novels and also um, David Olusoga's work. He's a journalist and historian. These two are wonderful writers. They uh, provide very good books to read for the students, but also uh, David Olusoga has uh, lots of contents, videos on the BBC Player. So make these two intellectual Black UK figures national treasures. We have national treasures that did, they just need more promotion. Black History Month is about promoting Black uh, writers as well. So Bernadine Evaristo, and David Olusoga. Make sure you promote novels for teens. There are lots of books written by Black African or Black American or uh, French Black um, writers. Show them, promote them in your classroom. I have a shelf with books written by Black writers and my students see them every time they are in my room. It's part of promoting a different worldview. What can you do if you want to encourage talking about black figures in, in UK culture? Well, there's a Guardian article entitled A Portrait of Black Lives in Suffolk. So it's from 2021. There's lots of beautiful pictures and a small biography of black people living in Suffolk. There's Kanika Carr, professional dancer, Royal Fox, former Premier League footballer, Tamika Green, journalist, Show them just as a simple slide at the beginning of each lesson, a different black UK person. Promote them, talk about them. There is the Culture Mile project, our stories reflecting on black history project in four objects. Check their website, the Culture Mile, and uh, lots and lots of articles to look at. I would also say take your students to the Tate if you're in London or even as a, a school trip in June if you can travel to London by bus. There is Chris Ophili, 
who is a wonderful painter and his work is shown at the Tate. No Woman, No Cry is one of his paintings. Lynette Yadam Bokier, The Generosity. It's a painting shown at the Tate Modern. And there was Cara Walker, Fons Americanus, who was uh, shown in 2019 at the Tate. So please go, go to the Tate, uh, book a trip for your students and ask them, can we see work made by black artists, please? Movies. You know what? If you're busy for enrichment or clubs and you don't have uh, lots of time, just show a movie with black characters. The wonderful loving movie about the loving family. It's a true story. It's really tender and sweet and heartbreaking. And it's a wonderful movie. The Hate You Give book and the novel and the movie are worth watching. Uh, Les Miserables, if your students are learning French. Bienvenue à Marley Gaumont or The French Doctor, if you are, if you're teaching French. Black Panther, obviously. Becoming with Michelle Obama, Self-Made, Madame C.J. Walker, uh, Ray, about Ray Charles, A Ballerina's Tale with Misty Copeland, great role model, Misty Copeland, Malcolm X, if you want to go further into 1960s politics, A Wrinkle in Time as well, if you're into fantasy, and The Karate Kid with Jaden Smith and Jackie Chan. Why not? So all these resources are ready for you online or on Netflix or on any um, server. Now, if you are a French speaker, you have Le Réseau des études africaines en France. It's a network of African study. It's more about economics and politics of African countries, but it is a website uh, founded in 1958. The Center for Studies of Black Africa, CEAN, uh, was a political analysis um, center they still have lots and lots of resources if you want to know more about politics in africa and also there's a great uh, podcast in french for those who speak french from france culture french culture www.radiofrance.fr slash france culture and the podcast is about African history and how we teach it and how we learn it. There's three episodes, Rethinking the History of Africa by François-Xavier Fauvel, From the Ethiopian uh, Kingdom to the Mali Sultana, and then the third episode is dedicated to the Senegalese fusiliers who worked in the First World War trenches as soldiers. So. 51 minutes of intense discussion about African history in French, not for the faint-hearted, but always worth a listen if you want to know more. Please do not let Black History Month be just a repetition of what Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King and slavery did to African Americans. Let's start a discussion. Black History Month should be celebrated once each month. We should talk about all the different ways of celebrating African culture. We should include African history in the curriculum of primary school children. The BBC should create period dramas about famous kings and queens in African history. There's a ton of work to do, and I'm counting on all of us to further this agenda of promoting a different vision of the world and racism. This is all for me. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm wishing you a lovely week. 
a good evening and I'll speak to you next Sunday at 5 p.m. Thank you, dear listeners. Enjoy. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.